Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we're here to discuss the offense from that win over the Browns. Uh, definitely some pluses and minuses in the midst of a great week of Baltimore sports, or at least we hope that's the way it ends up. Uh, Ravens gave us the, the start on that with a with a great win on Sunday. The Orioles lost a game that didn't matter, and that was fine. And then the, uh, uh, the weekend to look forward to is going to be really special with the Orioles games at home on Saturday and Sunday and that uh, which we still don't have a time on Sunday and then a. Yeah, I don't think so. And I, I remember them saying that uh, there was a concert, uh, Billy Joel, maybe, or some something yeah. on Saturday. So had to move that game up too. but, uh, but yes, Ken, not, you know, not to interrupt, but what a great, I mean, month. I mean, it was just, it was just wonderful. The baseball, uh, yeah, I'm a huge baseball fan too. And to have the team start, what was it? Tampa Bay started 13 and 0, maybe 20 and 3, something like that. I think that that is correct. And just playing with them, uh, battling with them all season and finally catching them, I believe, in July. And, you know, all these comebacks that not only we had, but the Rays had and have to win 100 games to do it. Um, you know, it's a football show, but it was a great day. Great, great few weeks, great month in Baltimore. So if you if you don't recognize that voice, that's Jason Smith, who I didn't introduce properly already, uh, who's uh, does a lot of Baltimore sports content creation, mostly about the Ravens and uh, all kinds of film cut ups. You know him as Huddle It Up Films on Twitter slash X. Uh, but anyway, Jason, a, a longtime friend of the show, been on many times as a guest, and we really appreciate him making time for this at the at the last minute. I, I uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate being able to turn to you when I need to, Jason. Uh, I'm here anytime, anytime. And that, yes, I do keep my, my uh, thoughts normally to football and, you know, I'll throw in some funny stuff and, and wish people happy birthdays and comment on their pets and stuff. But it's a football account at Huddle It Up Films and on YouTube, Huddle It Up Films as well. I have a good cut up this week. I've already done on Lamar and the throws that he made. And uh, that's, that's out off to a very good start. But if you want to focus in on a player and not have a lot of, uh, Fluff in there. There's, you know, the celebrations, the crowd shots. I kind of keep it simple. Focus on one player. I'm thinking about doing one on Miles Garrett actually this week. 
just show how the Ravens try to defend them. So that's another uh, video that would tie into what we're talking about this evening. That was really special, by the way. What the, All of the scheme that the Ravens threw at Miles Garrett was very impressive in this game. All the chip blocks, all of the help blocking, all of the things they did basically not leave McCarry on an island. It didn't. It still didn't work out all that well for McCarry. Unfortunately, I had not to give away the second half of the show, but um, he uh, uh, he had help, and they they tried to do. And today, kind of an interesting signing for the Ravens. They they pick up Eric Tomlinson and ask him to the, add him to the practice squad. Do you think that has anything to do with the current situation at tackle, or do they just feel like they need another backup blocking tight end? I think both. I think both. I, I don't want to just say that it has to do with the tackle situation because. Uh, quite frankly, I don't have a ton of faith in Kolar as an inline blocker. Uh, likely is way far away. He just doesn't have the body type for it. It's no knock on Likely. He is, he's basically a receiver. Um, you can do some move blocking with him, some fullback type, some H-back type stuff with Isaiah Likely. But as far as an inline blocker, he can't get it, he can't get it done. And it's no fault of his own. And Travis Vokalek, I believe, will be a plus blocker. I tweeted that out today. Saw him in line a lot at Nebraska. Thought he was one of the better blocking tight ends in the draft. But, Ken, you know a lot of times for a tight end, it's going to take them a year or so to get to the speed of the game and, and to muscle up and be able to block people in line. So uh, Eric Tomlinson coming back to me is, is a nice insurance policy as well for Ricard, who's been handling a lot mm -hmm. of that stuff. And just a more traditional in-line blocker to be able to free Mark Andrews up. Yeah, and that is that is an important consideration. If Mark Andrews is having to do a lot of what aren't on our score sheet is R89 not under or L89 not under, that means that he's chip blocking before he goes out of the route, and that severely cuts down on the route tree that he can run. Uh, so we're, we're it's that's definitely a, a concession to having to chip block on those plays. So uh, right. anyway, so, Raven so ta tackle con tackle concerns you have the tight ends who's not in their skill set. And then you have some receivers banged up. So I, I would attribute it to all three things to get, to get to there. It's just a signing that makes sense. And a guy that we know. Yeah. I mean, a guy with me, you know, I think is a big deal, but Tomlinson played 23 games with the Ravens already really good in line blocker. He only had two targets that whole time. So I would, I would probably take the route that they're not really looking for what he can do for us as a receiver but they might be thinking about, you know, Ricard's hip is not perfect. Let's make sure we have a fullback if we need a fullback. Let's make sure we have an extra guy we can bring in at the end of games to try and close it out. Uh, you know, an interesting thing that I didn't really have on the open here, but but since we're on it, let's talk about it a little bit, is that the Ravens have played a lot of unbalanced line the last two weeks. And the purpose of unbalanced line, generally speaking, is to talk a particularly poor in-space blocker. It's one of the reasons you do it. So you shift one tackle from the other side, and you can do it. You can do a six, uh, or or you can do it with with a five unbalanced. So a five unbalanced, you may have three to one side of center and one to the other side of center. The one to the other side of center is typically a guard. Okay, and he may even pull on the plate of the strong side. What you make it to the strong side, but the guy you tuck in is typically your tackle who can't really move very well. So in two thousand eight, when they did it, it was Willie Anderson. In two thousand twenty three, when they did it early, it was Morgan Moses. And they haven't used Daniel Falele for that yet, but my guess is he is a prime candidate for tucking. He's not a great in-space player, not real great legs, and I think it it could work run or pass to set the pocket up that way with him tucked. 
Agreed, agreed. And also on Tomlinson, just one more thing to go back to. I do have a cut-up of some of his blocking on the channel. And as you know, Ken, even though this was Greg Roman's scheme, a lot of the assignments are going to be the same for Tomlinson. Sure. You know, you're going to basically be doing the same thing in any scheme. So you can get an idea of what kind of a blocker he he, he was for us. And I thought he, he did a good job and came in and, and helped out when Nick Boyle was uh, obviously hurt. All right, so the Ravens took a big step forward, a second consecutive road win the division. They're 3-0 and now, a uh, chance to go 3-0 and on Pittsburgh on Sunday. That would make this one of the really big weeks in Baltimore sports. If, if you get a Cleveland-Pittsburgh win, goalposting a couple of Oriole wins, or maybe the Oriole overlaps in the other direction on Sunday. But, uh, boy, that's something to really look forward to and hope for. Uh, the injury news remains a little grim. Uh, Ajabo now maybe gone for the year. We talked about that on yesterday's show. Moses had an MRI today. They said there's no more Monday, but I'm very concerned about the situation there. So it sounds to me like they might have had a preliminary indication that it is something pretty severe. And Harbaugh used a different term than he uses. He uses long-term. So I, I don't think any of these injuries are long-term to start with. But th this time he said, I don't think any of these are, are long, long-term. Oh, uh, no, we got another definition here, meaning that, you know, whether a guy is going to be out for the year or not, I suppose. But it sounds like Moses is going to be lost for at least weeks, um, if if not longer. So uh, uh, that's unfortunate. Obviously, uh, the the, uh, the Ravens had other injuries. Uh, I've heard some preliminary news personally that Daryl Worley uh, may look like he's OK and is able to play next week. So we'll see how that works out. Um, that's unconfirmed from a, uh, from just a source. I will call it. I don't like doing that, but, but that's, uh, that's what I've heard. Um, uh, anything else on injuries you want to talk about while we're here? Cause no, I, you know, I'm curious tomorrow, maybe we'll know by the time the show comes out, but I, I didn't see Nelson, a lot of Nelson Aguilar at the end of the game. And I'm, I saw him hobble on my TV. I can't quite remember the play. But it was after a play, and I tend to notice those things and really pay attention if somebody gets up walking a little differently. And uh, so I'm I'm going to be keeping an eye out for Nelson Aguilar, Ken, and uh, that that would be a a big blow as well, considering um, you know we don't know what's happening with Bateman or Odell at this point. Hopefully Odell is back. I feel a little more confident in him. Um, Morgan Moses, you know, it looked like a peck to me. You know, it looked it's like always a good the fear. Yeah, and uh, you know, hopefully it's especially for a right tackle, and if it's his, his right arm, especially, I mean, that's what you're basically defending the edge when you get beat a little bit, and there's that wrestling match at the top of the arc. Uh, you know, uh, kudos to Marcus Williams for fighting through his pec injury, but they play completely different positions. Marcus Williams can kind of hide his a little bit, baby it a little bit, and be careful with how he tackles. Morgan Moses at right tackle. Uh, and that's a major concern for me as well, Ken. So there's, on, there's only three really common shoulder injuries that I'm familiar with. And somebody else could could bring up. I mean, before, because we, we had uh, Brandon Croxton on the show last night. Defensive lineman suggested it may have been a dislocated shoulder, in which case um, the ligaments are never right and it might pop out a second time. But that's almost like one of the really – unserious versions of that. He'd be back in weeks from something like that. He'll play in a harness that'll, that'll hopefully keep the thing stabilized. Um, if it's anything involving the labrum, uh, it is terrible news for a tackle. And frankly, it might be career ending. Um, it's, it's, it's not quite as bad as if you were a pitcher, but it's very bad. 
in terms of having your right shoulder injured in that way. A peck is he's lost for the rest of the year, but there's no reason why he can't be back next year. So that would be in some ways, not the end of the world as far as injuries go. And then the one you really hope for is that it's a stinger and you just rub it out and he's okay. But I think we would know that already. Um, and so, you know, if when, you, when you're looking at the universe of shoulder injuries, and I'm sure there are doctors who listen to this show, and by the way, leave comments if you would, um, as to what other possibilities you think might've occurred there. Um, you know, I, I think that we're, we're not looking at a good set of potential um, outcomes here. Outcomes is the wrong word because that, that, that's after you have your surgery and whatnot. But we're not looking for, for the, you know, through a good set of prognosis and uh, from what's going on here, from what we've seen so far. Yes, yes, just definitely concerning. Uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's happening is the Ravens are not managing their, their um, game day roster as efficiently as possible. And this last week, something happened that I've never – it's never happened before. The Ravens activated nine offensive linemen. Now, the NFL rules state you have to have eight offensive linemen in order to get a 48th player active. And the normal NFL team would like to only have seven. And some even have cheated, like the Ravens of the past with Isaiah McKenzie, had an eighth offensive lineman who's really something else, like a fullback or a defensive lineman in McKenzie's case. It's very unusual that anyone I, – I, I've never seen it happen – that anyone would have nine. And it only happened here because there weren't enough other – healthy players. Yes. And I, I, I want to say something similar last week where we only had healthy players active. So it's a, uh, it's definitely just a symptom of, of, uh, of the health on this team and having a lot of guys who are close or we don't want to put on IR, but we're going to be relying on. So we need to get some bodies back to be able to, uh, to manage the roster like we want to. Yeah. Even, even to continue as they are. And they're going to need to get some bodies back. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, Salah being on an NFL roster at this point, NFL game day roster, doesn't really make any sense. He's not ready to play. They used eight offensive linemen in this game. They brought in Mustafer and Cleveland for three snaps. They had Falele as a as a you know replacement for Moses. So they used everybody they had except for Salah. But uh, but he was uh, honestly kind of superfluous to this. Uh, Red zone efficiency on the offense, probably the biggest story for the Ravens at this point. Uh, but they sputtered again in terms of series success rate. So the first two games of the year, they were 79% series success rate. The last two at 68%. And they kind of had an excuse, I thought, against the Browns, managing out the game, you know, taking win probability judgments over expected points judgments in the second half where they had, you know, a chance to just get the game over with, get the clock over with. Frankly, just getting the game over with without additional injuries was a big goal for the Ravens, even if, if it wasn't increasing their win probability at that point. Um, but they, but they, you know, it, it, it made a lot more sense in this game to have kind of a low rate. It didn't make any sense against the Colts that they weren't able to uh, uh, move the ball more effectively. And you could blame some things like it being a little wet in terms of the weather and, and the field and whatnot. But uh, it wasn't a good thing. And now, now that it's been backed up by another game, even against a good defense, it's still not a good thing. So uh, uh, the Ravens need to in improve that. That was something that's very special about their start to the season through the first two games. Yes. The, you know, as far as the series success rate, my opinion on it didn't change over last week. I, I wouldn't say a stock up, stock down because of what you said. With the, the challenges of this game, number one, uh, the Browns pass rushers versus our backup left tackle and then half the game with a backup right tackle who's not ready to play. Uh, it doesn't look like he's ready to play at the NFL level. 
And then, you know, the, the lead that we jumped out to, the opposing quarterback that we were facing. I mean, after Morgan Moses went down, Ken, I, I immediately went into that mode. Just let's let's just keep this clock running and, and get the heck out of here. We got another road division game next week. Um, we're banged up as it is. It's not going to look pretty, but I didn't expect it to look pretty going into Cleveland in the first place. Let's just get out of here healthy. So uh, red zone efficiency, though, excellent. Series success rate, and I guess my overall view of the offense didn't really didn't really change. I thought Lamar looked looked very good, um, and that bodes well for the Ravens. Yeah, the, the uh, we'll get to the red zone efficiency a little bit later. Specifically, it's not sustainable. Is the problem with that? It's been fantastic, but unsustainable. <laughs> the series success rate. I was hoping it was sustainable at the seventy nine percent level because that's about the level twenty nineteen Ravens were. Probably a little greedy on my part, but. You know, Rob Long had an interesting question on the radio yesterday morning. He said, why isn't the red zone success sustainable? And I was kind of at loss for a moment. And, you know, when I got home or on the way home, I'm thinking I'm being, the correct answer to that is I know it for the same reason that I know a 450 hitter in April isn't going to hit 450 for the season because it's outside of the normal parameters of success. So, you, you know, you, that's what it is. And I couldn't come up with the words on, on air, but uh, yeah. I appreciate the question. You know, it's good to it's good to be challenged when you make a statement like that. And and you know, it's it's just inherently obvious to me, and I've gotten past the the ability to explain it logically. Uh, but that's it's you know, their, their red zone success is, is terrifically important. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Well, hey, some you know, sometimes it helps to have that question asked because somebody else out there is thinking the same thing. And and uh and yes, I would say, Ken, as far as the series success rate compared to 2019. Any offensive comparison to me compared to 2019 is yes, Ken. You're, you're getting a little greedy on me there, buddy. Getting a little greedy. I know you're sick. I'm not trying to make you laugh too much, but but let's hey, let's just keep it similar. That would be great. Anything close to 2019, I'm taking. Right. Well, me too. And you know, for 3.08 points per drive uh, is is never going to happen again. Unfortunately, it was considered slander in the 2019 to 2020 off season to say anything about how Lamar is not ever really going to have as good a season again. It was considered absolute slander. And not only that, you know, other things go with that that are worse than slander, but slander certainly to say, well, why won't he improve? He's only 22. Why, why, why on earth would he not improve from this? Um, well, there, you know, there's good reasons for it because he's, he's had a season that's completely outside of the norm of any quarterback in NFL history. And the bulk of strategies will, will, will tend to, take away some things that, that he's been able to do very well. And, and you know what, Ken, uh, before we move on, I'm expecting the same thing. I said this when I had Sarah on, on my channel before the season, I'm expecting the same thing to happen. The same kind of dynamic here with Lamar and Munkin may have said it on your show, but the NFL has never seen uh Munkin offense with Lamar operating just as they, you know, G road took uh, and, and Lamar took the NFL by storm. That same dynamic I think exists here. And Munkin, we mentioned it with Garrett, but his ability to adjust his offense in subtle ways and to manage the games that we've seen, to me, is a really good sign that hopefully he can stay ahead of the curve as people adjust to the Ravens and what they're seeing from this offense, that Munkin can keep throwing out some new stuff and evolve uh, better than than Giro did from year to year with Lamar. That that you know that's an interesting point you're making there, and I need to see more to know that Munkin can do that because Roman was really good at layering in new additions to the run offense to try and make it better. But the problem was he was kind of working in two dimensions and Munkin seems to be working in three. And when the pieces all come together, including the speed and, you know, some of the receiving talent that this, this team can have, uh, hopefully 
uh, they'll be in a better position to take advantage of this. Really want to see the play action game come back. You know, that's what I really want. I, I want to, and, and maybe that's the next offensive coordinator is he's a great, he's a play action guru. He's a pick wrap guru. He's whatever it might be to give you those extra things that, that we're not picking up here with, uh, uh, with either Giro or Monk, just to throw new wrinkles in. There you go. All right. Um, this win very much led by the defense. Um, we've got a long thing about the I dare you defense um, uh, in the defensive podcast, but characterized by some amazing um, unwillingness to budge on scheme and personnel based on an inability for the Browns to ever get started. So they had 36 of 44 man rushes, which generated a 45% pressure rate. So no problem there in terms of, of getting plenty of pressure with four. I've seen all kinds of things out there today about uh, should we be concerned about the Ravens only having a uh, having success from other players with a four-man pass rush? And I would like to talk to you a little bit about that, even though this were on the offensive show here. Do the Ravens have to get a top-flight edge rusher, or can they continue to do things in a way where they have – two component pressures that lead to sacks say so someone gets there in time maybe not to, to finish the sack mr almost but gets them off the spot and gets them moving and then somebody else finishes the sack uh i'm actually really optimistic about the ravens defense being quite good for doing that i mean it's funny because i had a i've been having outside the box from from what normal fans uh, other fans, other analysts have been thinking lately, just everybody besides me, when they're looking at who to add. And I'm so impressed with what Mike McDonald has done that I almost want an offensive player over a defensive player. Like, you know, I feel like like Mike Mack now, we have a season and plus four games of him working with different pieces, different parts. Uh, sacks are up. What are we, third in the NFL in sacks? We were top five, six last year in sacks. Interceptions are coming, uh, points per game, anything you want to look at. Like the defense is pretty darn good, and that has been under Mike McDonald, despite the moving parts. But on offense, I, you know, it's like, okay, we've offensive line. Can we get a tackle? You yeah. know, is, is can we get a you know more explosive, uh, maybe even a running back or something for a cheap that you're not thinking of? You know, who's out there? Who's available? What can we kind of give up without giving it up? But but I mean, to answer your question, I mean, heck, sign me up for a great pass rusher. Of course, of course. I mean, that's something I wouldn't say no to. I, I will say that I'm hoping that Adafio Way's injury is something that heals up because I thought that he looks like Talked a different a player. Start. Different player can completely with this spin move and the way he's able to disengage. Now, uh, he clearly took a step in the right direction, and I was really impressed with what I saw of him. Uh, so, you know, Away Clowney, yes. Uh, Van Noy, probably uh, Tavius Robinson and others. No, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm looking at. We pretty much have three guys that I trust to get, to get home. Uh, and hopefully Tyus Bowser will be back because he adds another dimension entirely in terms of the ability to drop to cover and, and the flexibility that gives you. But I, I think I'm with your original comment that if I, if I were to, you know, rank the needs, it wouldn't be getting a top flight pass rusher because the, the resource cost that's going to be enormous. Uh, you know, whoever is trading us one, if it's even an Ngakwe level player, which is not a top flight pass rusher, really. He's a, he's a good pass rusher, but he's not a top flight guy. Um, and, you, and you trade, you know, a second round pick, 
second and a fifth, something like that. It's way too much draft capital for a team that that is needs to hoard picks like nobody's business for next year. Um, I, I think there are guys out there on the street, and hey, we just got one this week in Kyle Van Noy that can fill your need sufficiently. If it, it, a tackle, though, that's going to be very, very hard to find, and that will completely derail the Ravens' season if they don't have that guy. Um, if they're if the games we just saw from Falele and McCary are what we can expect on a weekly basis versus um, average or better pass rushers, and, and they obviously face better pass rushers than that this week. Um, it, there's it, it, we cannot wait to move. Right, right. You know, I, again, I, pass rusher seems like an obvious need and corner was too, but the way that Mike McDonald plays his coverages, you can see we, we don't need, we, we can have a very good defense without superstars. Look at the way he's using these inside linebackers. Uh, you know, not, a, not a position that teams typically lean on for defensive success. You want your edge rushers and your corners. Those are the players who really get paid, but, but yeah, I, you know, of course I would like to have a pass rusher. Of course I would like to have other players, but pass rusher stands out on defense, but uh, you know, I'm almost like, Ken, let's see who's out there and who can help the team most. And if it ends up being a, 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 a guard, you know, I'm willing any, any kind of depth at any position. Okay. That, I mean, that might be a possibility too, uh, particularly if they're going unbalanced line and they find a guard who can, who can play a little bit on the outside as the odd man, as the, as the, the short man on the, on the short side. That could be pretty interesting too. Um, I, I I just want to say this in particular: this the defense wouldn't work if it weren't a complete team defense like it is now. Uh, it's it's you know it's a, two good safeties on the back end, and I wish yeah I wish it didn't have to have Hamilton back there because I think he could be even more impactful at that nickel spot. But with even just Worley and then Stone, who's been unbelievably good so far this year on the back end. You've got two linebackers who now get it in terms of what's going on behind them. You hear me, Patrick Queen? I'm talking. I'm talking to you right now. Who now get it in terms of, of having some coverage ability and 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 being able to make plays on understanding what's going on behind you. Roquan, fantastic, reading the eyes of the quarterback, getting in, closing the window a, a, entirely, and and doing it correctly. Um, that's allowed them to minimize this cover two schemes. It allowed them to minimize the weakness they have at cornerback, and force all of that action into a short zone area where they can deal with it. And Stevens, who's a, you know, a big physical cornerback uh, has played all the snaps and been fine. And Darby and Yasin, another physical guy, but Darby also a more of a, of a finesse guy uh, have been very effective also at, uh, at being in the right place at the right time. And if you look at all their yards per target. They're amazing, which shouldn't be a surprise because the whole team's only allowing 3.7 yards per pass play, 3.7. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. So, yeah, I, I threw guard out there as just like an unlikely, uh, you know what I mean? Just nobody's thinking about that. But but I was just trying to make the point that literally any position I would be open for. I'm almost more bent on like let's let's just improve the offense, give ourselves some depth there uh, and, and roll what we have on defense, because, I mean, the numbers numbers don't lie over this. We have, like I said, what, 20 game, 21 game include playoff sample size, what Mike McDonald and uh, it looks pretty darn good. How are you on the 12 or 13 or 14 games or whatever it's been since Roquan arrived? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, go ahead, Ken, finish up. I, I, but the point was that Bowser came back on the exact same week last year. And, I, you know, I was like, well, yeah, Roquan's played way better than we expected. But Bowser also came back that same week. And that was another big boost to the defense. But now 
they're doing it with Roquan without Bowser these first few weeks of this season, and not just without Bowser, without a whole bunch of other people. And it really, I think, the most important cylinder was correctly identified and paid this offseason. Yes, I, you know, I was a big believer. I was a big proponent of it. I faced some backlash. You know, uh, can the uh, positional value community is no joke, and they do have some legitimate, um, you know, like corners are important, red rushers are important, tackles ultra important. So it's not like I'm uh, oblivious to p- positional value. I definitely take that into consideration, especially on my draft board. But Roquan is one of those force multipliers. Uh, the base nickel that we're playing, it almost seems like, all right, we're we're willing if you're good enough to give up a little bit more on the run game, but we are not giving up anything in the pass game. Uh, we can play that balance of nickel and stop both um, with the range of Patrick Queen next to Roquan. Uh, he's made – Patrick Queen deserves his own credit for getting himself better. But when you have Roquan in the building, it's hard not to notice that it raised Queen's level even a little bit more than that. Um, there's just a certain ferocity in his leadership too. Um, you know, I heard a lot of this stuff where, you know, we have a lot of nice guys around. We have a lot of this and that. Well, we don't, we certainly don't look like a lot of nice guys on defense now with Roquan in the middle. Um, in the tackling on this team overall, Ken, and there's offensive show, but we watched the Giants game last night and you saw Wink's defense have tackling issues. It's something about Mike McDonald, whether he's focusing in on a practice or whether it just has to do with his style of everybody with their eyes forward on the, yes, on the offense and, and, and rallying to make a tackle. I mean, it seems like when we got Roquan, Kyle Hamilton, Mike McDonald, our tackling issues immediately disappeared. Well, you've, you hit on it exactly. In my opinion is the, is the, the eyes on the quarterback eyes on the football defense they're playing right now. If, if the other team cannot get you out of a zone scheme because they just can't figure out how to beat it, your linebackers are too good. It doesn't matter that you have two guys back. It doesn't matter that you throw to the outside. It doesn't – all of the things in terms of, of being able to beat a, a, a zone defense. If the other team can't figure out how to do it, you're always going to be in a fantastic position to come downhill on the football. And you got ferocious guys who are not afraid to tackle at basically every spot. Uh, so I, I, even the ones who are a little bit smaller. So it's, it's exciting to see that. And it reminds me a lot of the 2000 defense in that regard. And the 2000 defense even had cornerbacks. They were telling stay out of the play with Starks and McAllister. They knew they couldn't afford to get them hurt, but they were still ferocious downhill tacklers and uh, very exciting to watch this defense. And I, I am, I'm averse to making any sort of comment about, defenses being like the 2006 defense or like the 2008 defense or like the 2000 defense or like the 2014 defense. But this defense has a chance to be one of the special ones that we remember for what it is, which is a great team defense really integrated in a way that is very, very special and very results focused. Great. All right, let's move on to some other general comments and we'll get to the offense. And I, I promise not to let the show go too long. I'm sorry for, for yakking down this long defensive rabbit hole for a while. They got outsnapped by the Browns 65 to 55 in this game. I think this is another case where I've read some Browns Twitter and a little bit of Browns message board stuff. And they, to them, the, the Ravens outsnapped them by a mile in this game. And it's just not true. They had 10 more snaps of the Ravens in the game and snaps are what matter, not time of possession for tiring the defense. If you want to get the game over with, time of possession is more important. If you want to get the other team tired, it snaps. So uh, 
that's a, always a, a thing I want to point to. And that, that deals with a lot of the series success rate. They just did not have a good, uh, uh, comfortable way of maintaining snaps in, in this game. Yes. You know, I'd like to see, I don't think it was by far a, uh, a great offensive performance, but I thought it was a solid offensive performances, as we said, considering the circumstances, everything that went into the game. So I, w- I would like this to be 50, 50. I'm not expecting the Ravens to dominate time of possession like they did under Roman. It's, it's one of the symptoms of the new offense. Uh, but, but yes, we, we can do better than that. We shouldn't be out snapped by 10, 15 every game. Right. All right. So somebody had a question for me about points per drive, and I want to address this and and the, the, the question in general. I had been tossing out a number of 2.65 in terms of points per drive is where I think the Ravens would be good to get back to. Um, and the, 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 I'm basing that on the 2019 offense being at 3.08 points per drive. And there will need to be efficiency somehow with a Monk and offense to, to get back going. But the problem with that is d- scoring in the NFL as a whole has been greatly depressed over the last years since 2019. So there's been many fewer super high scoring teams and the high in the whole entire NFL is right around 2.71. I think it was the chiefs last year. So since I have to, I have to moderate my 265 down from there. Cause I think the Ravens, with the defense they've got, I think if they could be in the top five or six in the league of points per drive offensively with what's going on, certainly with what's going on with their injuries right now in offense, I think that would be pretty good. And the 2.33 is actually fine uh, for this game. Now, I know they're, they're playing Cleveland. And in some cases, you're saying you're dominating the game defensively. That's the lead to some additional points. And it kind of did, you know, with Stevens intercepting the ball, returning it to the 10 and a quick punch in. But how are you feeling about you know, the, the number of points they scored against Cleveland, given the circumstances. I think for where the offense is at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm more than okay with it. I think it's, I think it's been good. I would say good. And, uh, you know, it's just hard to neglect the fact it's an excuse. Sure. But it's, it is a brand new offense for the guys. And again, there's, there's people here this week that aren't there next week. So it's, it's a little bit different from, okay, we've known this guy's out for the season since, you know, before the season started. Like, we have Ronnie, we don't have Ronnie. We had Odell, we don't have Odell. Bateman's back, now he's back out. Um, you know, Linderbaum was out for a game. So, overall, I think that we're we're on track. We're on track, Ken. Like, I, I would say the, the offense is good. To if, it's, if it's two and a half points per drive, if it's 2.6, if it's 2.4, as long as we're winning, it, it's okay. I just expect it to get better as the year goes along. Okay, well, fair enough, and I, I would I would expect a general upward trend in that. But the thing that's not going to be repeatable is the red zone efficiency. They had another four for four game. They've now scored eight consecutive touchdowns on red zone possessions, which, by the way, we never would think about this as a problem. But you know, an analyst can turn anything into a worry mm-hmm. with what's going on, and they've had fifteen red zone possessions this year with with one interception. That was the very first drive, two field goals, and twelve touchdowns. So six point one points per red zone possession, 91 total points on, on those 15 possessions. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Is that good, Ken? Was that, that good? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. Good. It's, it's, you're hitting, uh, that isn't even hitting 450 in April. That's more like hitting 535 in late April. Right or 450 and steal on a base. You get that 6.1, <laughs> so you get that extra point in there. But, but yes, you know, I think one of the strengths that Lamar has as a quarterback overall, we've talked about before on the show, Ken, he makes everybody a red zone threat. Uh, he's a very good quarterback. Uh, however we're doing it, just I would just, you know, hope that Todd Munkin is thinking about the next step, what teams are going to do. Because uh, the one thing that does – I would say that stumped out in this game is a lot of attention was paid to Zay Flowers. We're talking about subtle things. Maybe it's not a, technically a double coverage, but if Zay moves this way, that safety comes crashing down mm-hmm. on him or that linebacker is cheating to his side. Step here, step there, second here, second there. So it's not even things that I think that can be quantified in what kind of coverages that we're seeing. But Zay Flowers is being keyed upon. In the red zone, we're not afraid to use them. So we're going to have to keep evolving offensively to keep uh, not that success, but be a successful red zone team. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. That's an absolutely great point. And one of the things that I have not liked is the Zay Flowers gadget play usage. I just I I don't like wide receiver screens to Zay Flowers because it takes away, draw the safety away. But having you just hear, hear you say that, I love the notion of Zay Flowers calling for the ball in a wide receiver screen and maybe even somebody else setting up on that side to block, you give up those receivers and you might draw four defenders to those two guys. Then you work it out three on four with the with the remaining uh, defenders, assuming you have a four-minute pass rush there. You've, you've got a pretty good uh, option there. But regardless, the, the impact of that is that you've also spread the field more. And we saw Lamar obviously get a couple more rushing touchdowns um, this week. Moving linebackers, it's what makes Lamar Jackson a dangerous player. And, and I uh, guess the, the first one, Ken, they all, it, it seemed like to me at least two, maybe three. I, I didn't even analyze it to, to, to say this, but, bro, they were following Zay Flowers to that sideline. That is as easy of a Lamar Jackson run, as much space as you're going to see Lamar have mm-hmm. between the tackles and it happened in the red zone. Like, yeah, that, 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 that I hadn't seen that in a long time, and it just is a credit to – to how the reputation of Zay Flowers already can they got to pay attention to him? I'm gonna throw it throw it to you on this too. Um, Keaton Mitchell, who knows what's gonna happen? I don't have a prediction, but I could see him factoring in 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 some of this gadget gadget stuff as well as somebody that can make someone miss in space and, and house call it. Because I'm with you, Ken. I you know it was a concern before the season that Zay would get stuck in this gadget role and. I think he's been a little too more too gimmicky for me. I would like to see him 
you know, run routes as a receiver. He might be one of our better receivers, even as a rookie in that intermediate area, just whatever kind of routes you want to run with them. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with that totally. And the Ravens have three other guys on the roster who have the speed to be very, very dangerous gadget players. One is Duvernay, who they're really not using very much since week two. He had a, had a role against the Bengals and getting that game over with. Uh, but he's only caught, he's only, he's only been targeted six times on the year with two receptions for eight yards, I think. So that's really underutilization of Devin Duvernay. And he could be taking that role away from Flowers and and allowing Flowers to, to do other things to manipulate that defense. Uh, Keaton Mitchell, of course, when he comes back. And then we just saw a great game, even though it was in very few touches from Justice Hill. You know, three receptions, that incredible long run play that got called back. Uh, that was that was a wonderful performance. I mean, I know he looked like he was running a little crazy-legged, would you say, in terms of not being completely stable maybe, but very effective. I, th- I thought on the it might have been the one that was called back where he had a ton of open space. There was It wasn't a hitch in the giddy-up, but it, it looked like he was landing on his foot intentionally differently. Really? Like, okay. Yes. I would encourage you to go back. I think it's the one that got called back by a penalty. Um, where he I'll was take a look sc- at that. Screaming down the open field, and uh, Aguilar was out there blocking for him. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it looked like he was like not planning on one of his feet all the way, like shortening his step, like not coming down on the toe, picking it back up before he came down on the toe. Uh, oh, that would um, make sense, wouldn't it? And to uh, – right, and to, to to your point, if Munkin wants someone other than Duvernay, maybe he's saying, look, look Duvernay is linear. He's got the speed, but he's going to run into a pile like we see in on punts. He's not really going to shake you and, and, and really threaten it in that way. Justice Hill is a good – is really good call there, Ken. But Keaton Mitchell – with those running back skills as well. He can shake you and, and make you miss and then take it the distance. So maybe that's what, yeah, you know, I was surprised Duvernay wasn't involved, especially this game with, with Bateman and, and Beckham out. If he's not favoring Duvernay, maybe uh, Keaton Mitchell, um, you know, there's, there's reasons to have Gordon active over him, but maybe, maybe there's a spot for Keaton Mitchell after all, especially if he can contribute on special teams. Yeah. Yep. yep, yep. Very good stuff. Very good stuff. Uh, 33 run, 22 pass in this game. It's great when you can get that kind of work. Uh, a 60% uh, run in the NFL is very rare, but, uh, this was a game where the Ravens obviously took some negative win probability plays, uh, or some less than optimal, uh, sorry, some less than optimal expected point plays in the name of win probability in the second half. Let me make sure I get that right. So that ended up being a lot of, uh, of what they were doing, running the football. They also, uh, we're really trying to run Miles Garrett out of the play, use his own uh, desire to rush, get after the quarterback and accumulate a big sack total to run himself out of the play. They did a good job. McCarry's good blocks in this game in large part were not him standing up to a bull rush from Miles Garrett, not him standing up to great moves by Garrett. They were letting him foe beat him to the outside and then pushing him past the pocket where, where uh, Hill could then use that running lane or Gordon or whoever it was. Yes, we, we took advantage, I think, early in the game, too. A little screen pass to Gus uh, uh, just to try to maybe use their pass rush against them. But, but yeah, I thought that the uh, the run pass script was was right on time. I didn't at one time in this game think, hey, we should run it more. Or, hey, we should throw it more. It, it seemed uh, uh, very balanced to me. Right. Well, one other thing I wanted to talk about was the uh, time to throw for Lamar Jackson. So Lamar Jackson had been very low, 243 and 259 the last two weeks in terms of time to throw. 
And against the Browns, he was at 319 time to throw. That's order of magnitude higher. And I know people are going to talk about the 43-yard pass to um, Flowers where he left the pocket and he had a five and a half, oh, sorry, an eight and a half second throw time. <laughs> that really doesn't even explain the whole thing. Eight and a half seconds, if you subtract three from that, and we'll just do some basic math here, you're, you're, you're going to get five and a half, divide that by 22 total pass plays that he had, and yet I think a quarter of a second for each. So even without it, he would have been in the high twos without it. So was a lot of it was the fact that Cleveland was going that four-man pass rush, and they were taking a little bit longer to get home with all of the games they were playing with Garrett and, and at times with Zadaria Smith as well uh, to, to, to try and slow them down a little bit. Jackson maneuvered in the pocket, I thought, fairly well um, in those terms. But the uh, the 3.19 time to throw, is it's not just explainable with that single eight-and-a-half-second throw. Yeah, very well explained. Yeah, I think Lamar was under pressure a lot, but time to throw – I think that, you know, that it's a credit to Lamar him being able to have faith in himself basically to uh to to hold the ball. And it might also be a function of uh not having receivers really open in this game. Uh I didn't see a ton of separation on tape in my first watch. Well they they did only rush the quarterback with five on three occasions the whole game. So the Browns really went out of went out the Ravens with a four man rush. Um when they had the four man rush, they allowed six point three yards per play so that was 19 for 119 when they had a five-man rush they allowed three plays for 46 that was 15.3 so substantially better results obviously small sample size you consider there and whatnot but uh um, you know lamar's overall game was excellent we knew that and uh um the 6.3 is a, a moderate total it was it was a lot of it was what he was able to do there with uh, uh with against the five-man rush yeah Yep. Go ahead, Ken. I was just going to say it's it's hard for if I was a defensive coordinator going against the Ravens, I'm not sure how I would attack is is basically what I was going to say, because we've seen Lamar great under pressure. We've seen him audible out. Um, you know, if you're going to simulate a lot of pressure, I think it's still a lot to be written on. Uh, we've and then we've seen not so good Lamar under pressure. So, you know, I think that that's uh, how each defensive coordinator attacks is going to be up to him and up to his personnel. Yeah, I very much agree. And and obviously the Browns were able to get a fair amount of pressure in this game with four men. So there's no need generally to do it more. And we're really happy that the Ravens, the Ravens had 40 defensive snaps against the pass and had 18 pressures using, so it's 45%, using primarily a four-man pass rush 90% of the time, you know, all but, all but four of the snaps. The Browns were similar. They had uh, 22 pass or sack results. And 11 of those were pressures. And they used, as we I just said earlier, 19 out of 22 four-man looks. So they had a very similar kind of approach to this game. Interesting, uh, Ken, when you do your new year foe this week, because I'm looking at the Steelers team as kind of similar to the Browns. It's like, all right, we got High Smith and we got TJ Watt. They got who at tackle. All right, may, maybe we don't have to blitz Lamar a lot. Maybe we can get pressure with our four men. And uh, just to see uh, whoever you have uh, from the Steelers this week to see what they have to say, because obviously the Ravens are going to prepare for anything. But if you got two good pass rushers, great pass rushers uh, compared to the league uh, against the Ravens right now, you, you, maybe you don't blitz as much. Maybe you just say, hey, we're going to get home with four. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. Alex Kozor will be the guest this week, one of our, our good, favorites good. from Pittsburgh. Good guy. 
Uh, I'll go through quickly here. Four ample time and space opportunities, the whole game for Jackson. It's only 18%. He's four of four for 62 yards on those plays, 15.5 yards per play. Seven times the ball was out quickly. That's 32% of the time. He went five of seven for 49 yards, 7.0 yards per play. No problem with that. And 11 pressures uh, on which he went six of eight for 41 net yards and three sacks in addition. Still worked out to 3.7 yards per play. I know that doesn't seem like much, but that's really good for pressure for, for plays on which you're pressured. Okay. Occasionally you get something better, but that is actually really good. Yes. And I mean, we had a, a minus six yard uh, on a, on a second and 17. I mean, there were a few plays, Ken, that yeah. uh, Lamar was pretty much dead to rights. Um, and you're talking and about a pass for minus six, not even a sack. A, a pass for minus six. Yeah. Yes. I, I made a cut up on my channel of his throws. So I'm just looking at my sheet right now. Uh, grabbing it. it was uh, late in the game too. You know, of course, the game was pretty much iced. Um, you know, no no offense to the Browns there, but you know, let's just get rid of the screen pass. Let's get out of town. Um, so yeah, I I thought this was an excellent game by Lamar. I'll, I'll plug that cut up again because on my channel because I just thought that he did a wonderful job. Now, uh, since we're on Lamar, I would say the ball security is still something I'm going to harp on. Yep. that he needs to be conscious of because I, it showed in 2018, Ken, and uh don't have any stats to back this up, but I remember having these conversations before his MVP season. Man, I like the way this guy takes care of the ball. I like the way his ball placement is great. It's always been great. It continues to be superb, protecting receivers and protecting the football. We'll have a stinker every once in a while, but Lamar takes care of the ball when, it's, when it leaves his hand. Um, I'm just worried about his security with the ball in the pocket, specifically and not when he gets out and runs uh, where it, but just getting blindsided, he's got to clean that up. Ken, I'm a huge Lamar fan, uh, obviously, but, uh, but we need him to clean that up. So two plays in this game, one Lamar lost the ball, but, but recovered himself before it hit the ground on a sack. I was sure that ball was out because it looked like it was, it was free, I, 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 but he obviously grabbed it before it went to the ground. The other was on the handoff to justice Hill where he inexplicably released the ball you know, maybe six inches away from Hill or eight inches away, and and Hill was not able to to collect it properly. So, um, and, 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 and that's that on Lamar. Can, and that one can, yeah, that's on Lamar. But those, that one, quite frankly, I don't worry about as much because that just seems more fluky. But you're going to have people around you swatting at the ball in the pocket. That's the thing that I think more than anything, he's got to clean up. That kind of play can change the game. Uh, to Lamar's credit, though, uh, Miles Garrett swiped at him one time. I think on one of his sacks or quarterback hit and Lamar was able to protect the ball. It looked like one of those, oh man, he's going to lose this one because how could you possibly feel Garrett in that situation? So Lamar, Lamar does a, a good job with it on some plays to just looking for more consistency uh, in that area. You need it. Okay. Now this is what I really wanted to ask you about. I know you've done all the cutups in terms of the passes and I want to talk to you about three specific throws for Lamar in this game. And so really appreciate having you for this show. The first one was that, I guess it's sort of a wheel route. It was certainly over the top to Gordon on the left sideline. Um, what were your takeaways from that? It was a it was a beauty of a throw. Um, I believe he had another throw he could have had there. Now the, again, the Browns were paying a lot of attention to Zay. So um, you know, if you look at it from the sideline view, you may question why Lamar went there with the ball. But as far as the throw itself, uh, that was a thing of beauty. Um, fast linebacker, I believe it was JOK in the coverage on that play to Gordon, and uh, what a play by Melvin Gordon! But uh, you know, the it, the throw doesn't get any better than that. 
That's from at Raven's dad, 1985, who asked the question to pound sign film or hashtag film study mailbag. Somebody born in 1985 might also call it pound sign film study mailbag. But it's hashtag. Yes. All right. So, but anyway, really appreciate the question. Brett Hammond's there. Uh, the second one is the eight and a half second pocket wandering roll right throw to flowers that ended up being one of the really big plays of the game. A difference maker, a difference maker of a throw. Um, that was just, that was just really, that was really beautiful. Um, 49 yards. Yes. So I believe it was a second and 29, Ken. Uh, a second 29 for a gain of 43, right? Right. For a gain of 43. So you're talking about a big time throw, uh, a drive extender. Normally it drives dead if it's second and 29. Uh, the throw itself, of course, it was classic Lamar extending the play. Uh, but it also showed his arm talent, I think, uh, not only being able to throw it off platform, but just that far. And it wasn't a ball that had a lot of loft on it. Like Zay was approaching the sideline pretty quickly, so he couldn't afford to just float one up there. And, oh, man, I got to get it 50 yards or whatever it was. Don't don't take that literally. Yep. I, I can put a little air under it to get it 50 yards downfield. No, it had to be a bullet uh, downfield. So you get a, a, a sense of Lamar's just pure arm strength on that one. And also, Zay started that play, Ken, on the opposite sideline. He was aware to see Lamar roll, and Zay covered a lot of ground. And I got a kick out of this, Ken. Uh, if you watch the cut-up, you can see it on the on the All-22, the sideline view of the All-22, that the cameraman did not even expect that ball to go to Zay. Uh, he messed up and, and did a poor job, and Zay went out of his frame. So he had to hurry up and back it up at the last second. That should tell you what kind of throw that was from Lamar. That is, by the way, really odd when the the top view, it's called, is the sideline view. And the all-22 view, though they're both thought of as all-22, is actually from the end zone because the NFL created it so you could see all-22 numbers on the field at the same time. But that side that side view um, that they had, the top view, sorry, is uh, uh, really marvelous at seeing all depth of routes. That's what it's there for. So it, Zooming in at all, so it takes the receiver out of the frame, is a really big no-no for the cameraman. So that was uh, that was unfortunate. I, I'm not 100% sure that that is done by an actual cameraman, or if they if they now have a robotic cameraman doing that. I don't know, but it looked like an actual cameraman to me. Uh, just off the uh, you know the NFL Plus's wonderful product, uh, it did definitely seem like there was a guy that decided to zoom. Uh, you know, you can just tell it looked human controlled. Basically, it looked like the new guy was was in there just for the Browns game, just for the Browns game. It's usually very spot on. Yeah. All right. And then the, the last one, of course, that I want to talk about is that what I think is a very low probability throw to Andrews in the back of the end zone that he happened to hit on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Right, right at the end of the half, uh, Ravens are 14-3. The chance to get three and, and go up two touchdowns was looking really attractive, frankly, at that point. But they also had a chance. And I guess I don't know if they were one play away or two plays away from having to kick that field goal. But they were in that range. And Lamar comes up with the most beautiful pass you'll ever see to the back corner of the end zone. Uh, your takeaways. It, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And, um, you know, I'm just going to give some credit to, to Mark Andrews here. So talked a lot about Lamar. Beautiful throw by Lamar, but you have to have somebody that you trust in that situation. And that's what Andrews brings. And Andrews, to me, yeah, he's a big guy, Ken, like 6'5 or something like that. But you look at some of the jumpers and some of the long guys in this league, Andrews doesn't seem like, okay, I mean, yeah, he's a tight end. He's got a nice catch radius. 
but it's not like he's Calvin Johnson at the back or Randy Moss. Uh, and Lamar doesn't need that much room to trust him. I mean, it was pinpoint throw. Uh, it was with the defenders, three defenders there. None of them had a chance at it, but Mark did just beautiful touch by LJ, but also wanted to give a shout to Mark. He's earned that trust from, from Lamar and comes down with some big catches like that. Yeah. To me, I look at that throw and people are going to, are going to bitch and bitch and moan at me about this. I, I don't like that throw. I, I think it's, it, it had more interception risk um, than is reasonable for that exact point. I thought it was more important to go up 17 to three in the game than it was to try and get up 21 to three. And I, I, well, I do trust Andrews to make his best effort on the ball. Andrews has not been a guy who's been wonderful at dislodging the football with from an underneath interception. Uh, he's also a lot of the interceptions have been overthrows to Andrews, but but he's not been a guy who's who's been exceptionally good at, at dislodging it. So if that ball's underthrown, it's a it's a real problem. Um, it was a high risk throw. I think we'd agree on that. Fades to the corner of the end zone are low probability throws. And I made the point for years that the Ravens had taken that completely out of their arsenal when they had Lamar, because Lamar had this great ability to move laterally along the line of scrimmage and find an open man that he can drill a laser to or take off himself and, and, and get there. You, you don't need that in your arsenal. You don't need a fade route in your arsenal. And then he's got this the most incredible triple covered thing. And uh, I see it. It worked. And I'm like, that was a 40-foot three-point shot that he took and made. And I'm slightly exaggerating. Maybe it was a 28-foot three-point shot that he made. But, uh, you know, he, he could have pushed the ball inside and, and gone to the line and, and had a better chance for two, which is what the field goal would have been. So, I hear you. Yeah. I I saw the, the next-gen stats, and you know I'm not a stat nerd. What was the number? It was very low. It was extremely low. And uh, I saw a Ravens fan in their comments asking, is that the lowest – probability of uh it was the single digits or uh single. yeah i, I want to say it was like the somewhere between nine percent and like 13 percent look it up on espn next gen stats uh but it was a very extremely low probability the, the other i mean they they typically do completion probability over expected so they're, they're, they're doing the expected for completion probability is what they're using from that throw so that had a big contribution to lamar's overall number which is like plus 21 percent for the game but the but the the thing I would like to know is not just the completion percentage. What was the interception percentage on that throw? Because I bet it I bet it was north of what the completion percentage was. Yeah, well, hey, I guess that's all on how you throw it. You know what I mean? You could you could sail that ball uh, a little bit more and not try to be a pinpoint and okay. you know take a five percent chance that Mark catches it, but a zero percent chance others. Or you could okay. raise both of those numbers a little bit. I don't know, Ken, but just messing with you a little bit there. But the uh, three gorgeous throws. I want to throw in a fourth. The, the near uh, touchdown to Nelson Aguilar that preceded a touchdown. Um, great throw, great ball placement. Nelson just couldn't get both feet in, in bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we close it on, Lamar Jackson, four incompletions, Ken. I'll go to this real quick. Zay slipped on a first and 10, said my bad afterwards. We got a good, really good replay on TV of that. Um, it was the end zone throw to Nelson Aguilar, I just said. Um, it was a third and 23, which was a screen pass where Falele was beaten immediately. So, and again, these, these last two were in garbage time. So Lamar just pretty much threw the ball at, I believe, Gus's feet on that. And then a throwaway where Lamar's rolling right, nobody's open. It's 28-3, and he throws it over, throws it out of bounds. So four incompletions, no no poor throws, no bad throws on the game. So not only did he have those four beauties, 
there there wasn't a bad throw. There wasn't a, a throw he'd like to have back. You know, the the question for me, I, a great game, by the way, and I, I'm not seeing anything negative, but Lamar won us this game as much as the defense did, probably, and that's saying a lot, given how well the defense played in this game. But the the uh, uh, the, the poor throw in the game would have been the Andrews touchdown, and just because it worked out, we can't really claim that it wasn't a poor throw. I let me just say this: I don't want him making that decision, that same decision again. So, I hear you. I hear uh, you. As, as Joe as had you those. Mean. Joe had a lot of those too. Uh, yeah, he would drive. He would. He would worry me to death. And you know, athletes they have that supreme confidence in themselves, man. That's part of what makes Lamar Lamar, and what made Joe Joe is the compliment. Uh, hey, Anquan Bolden's there. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw it to him. All right. Got a few more scheme things I want to talk about that will wrap up this first uh, part of the episode, come back and talk offensive line and talk about the individual player results. But the running back snap division, a little bit interesting to me. Edwards really took the lion's share of the load with 40 snaps. That's a, that's a lot more than he's played in a long time. Gordon 11, Hill 7, no Duvernay in the backfield, exactly one running back every play. Um, Edwards had 18 touches or targets, touches slash targets uh, among 40 snaps. Gordon four of eleven, Hill three of seven, and and Hill also had a long reception called back, so it was really like four of seven because he gets a snap count in there, but he didn't really have a touch. Uh, I, Edwards you know, did some workhorse type effort. I wouldn't say that he did anything really special that that really felt great to me in this game. Uh, Hill was the guy who just stood out again as having an extraordinary game. And I think Gordon actually wasn't bad this this time either. Obviously, his running results were decent. He had a great great reception for some good yeah. yardage. Yeah, Gordon has surprised me, Ken, um, in a great way. Uh, yeah, I I wouldn't wasn't expecting much, if anything, out of Melvin Gordon. Uh, but that's my preconceived notions. And when people come to the Ravens, I judge them based off what I see. He's he's surprised me. I think he's played really well, and I knew he was a good pass protector, which of course works in your favor. Uh, for any team, especially one that wants to protect the quarterback as much as we do. And Ken, something I've been saying since the preseason, did a little solo video on this. I believe that Hill, you know, I, I think we we met during the preseason and, and I made this point that Hill was running basically ahead of Gus uh, at the stadium practices in the preseason games and everywhere I saw. And I think that Justice Hill is just a better fit for a lot of the zone stuff that Munkin wants to do. And it's it's no offense to Gus, but we've seen some, some hit and miss runs from both of them, some big losses uh, and then some big gains. So uh, when you're looking at Justice Hill and obviously they, they, you know, they wanted him to get healthy, but they needed him for this game. They wanted him this game to feed him the ball. What was it? Four out of seven or four out of eight times, whatever it was when he was on the field. So um, I continue to say that what I saw in the preseason is holding true. Gus is going to be effective, but that we're really missing JK. We're really missing J.K. I think that he was going to be a workhorse this year. And Justice Hill now plays prominently into the backfield. And we, we need a back who can, who, can, who can run a lot of these zone plays and to capture the edge. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm, I'm on board with that. I will say that it is a little bit ironic to me that Melvin Gordon is the last activation at running back. And you could you could say he was ahead of Hill, but he's really the last activation at running back because he's the elevation, um, uh, and he gets it over Drake. And the reason I would have to think is fumble risk after last week. It's just the irony is not lost on me. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I kind of, I kind of like Drake a little better than Gordon just personally, but uh, it is funny. Yeah. Drake. Yeah. Melvin Gordon, what Ken's saying is Melvin Gordon has a history of fumbles. Drake fumbles once after pretty much securing the ball for a whole year with us. And uh, Hey, we can't afford that risk. We'll we'll activate the guy with a history of fumbling. Yeah. Let's see. We talked a little bit about Duvernay already. The Ravens had four set and 10 chip blockers in the game. I was actually surprised by this when I went back and took a look at it. Uh, And, you know, they, they threw the ball 22 times. I would have guessed they they used more chips and definitely more sets, particularly with Ricard during this game, but it just wasn't the case. Only four set blocks, 10 chip blocks. That's .64 per play, which is a high total, by the way. You make you have five eligible receivers per play. This is giving up 13% of those effectively to a lesser set of routes or no set of, no route at all if they're set blockers. And so it's not an insignificant uh, concession to, 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 to the defense you're making to, to get this extra block, but they sure as hell needed that help uh, with both tackles playing so poorly. And, and the, uh, uh, they, they just, they were trying, I, I, you know, I'm not going to blame either of them. They just weren't up to the task. And so uh, they needed to try different things. And I think if, if I were, one of the things I was thinking about going into the game is, how can the Ravens scheme to manufacture time and space in the pocket for Lamar? Even though he was pressured a lot, I would still say that Monken met the requirement to do that with all of the scheming they did to just to delay and set additional traffic cones out there for, for Miles Garrett even to run around before he got to Lamar was something. It's funny because by the end of the game, it was almost like a tell. Like I could tell if they didn't have Ricard lined up or if they had Maybe uh, Justice, or excuse me, Gus Edwards was used a lot to help. Um, they used likely one time, but it was almost like if if you don't see somebody over Miles Garrett, this is probably going to be a running play or a quick pass. Um, but they took the chance with Garrett. I want to say, I want to say twice, and both times Garrett just absolutely, uh, uh, you know, did his thing, did Miles Garrett's thing. Uh, uh, to Pat McCarry, and it, it didn't work out for the Ravens. So they had to really mix up the way they were protecting, whether it was a running back coming over to help immediately. Um, Gus, you know, really picked up Miles Garrett one time, really saved Lamar's hide. Um, once a play that could have went horribly wrong. Um, yeah, I saw likely earlier in the game, I saw Ricard over there. They did a lot of things to Miles Garrett that encouraged me, and we may need to do some similar stuff. Uh, throughout the year against a pass rusher that's just a dominant force. I, I think one of the things we may see, and I mentioned this earlier, so I don't want to go into any depth here, is, is I think we'll, we'll see a return to the unbalanced line next week if, if Al Lilly ends up being the starter. Uh, I honestly, if, if you want one prediction for me on how the Ravens offense is going to look different, it's going to be a ton of unbalanced line. They used 19 in the previous two games, zero in this one. Uh, but I don't really care what kind of front they're facing Unbalanced line is going to allow them to tuck Falele. So sometimes it's about your players. Sometimes it's about who you're trying to stop on the other team. In in this case, they're trying to minimize how Falele hurts the team by by tucking him on a significant number of plays, giving them different looks that they have to adapt to. Um, get the line of scrimmage, snap the ball quickly, allow Falele to push some people around on the inside and and uh, uh, run some things that the other team just isn't ready to see. That um, was very effective against Cincinnati. It was it was. Less effective against the Colts, but it was still there. It was something they used, and and the personnel is now such that I think they'll go back to it. And, you know, Ken, another thing I would do is, look, I saw, I think the 
first or second pass of the game, um, you know, let's swing it out to Gus. Let's swing it out to Gus or Justice Hill or whoever's out there. Uh, let's run a draw play. Uh, you know, all the classic offensive coordinator moves that you do to slow down a rush. And, you know, you have – I don't want to overuse Lamar in the run game. That's something I, I really – I think we've used him a little too much. Don't what we've had to do to try to win the games. But, I mean, when it comes down to it, I want Lamar healthy for the long haul. I'm not saying he's going to get injured. But I'm just saying, let's stop asking him to carry the whole offense and get dinged up. You know, you could ding up a shoulder and play through it and not be 100% right. So let's use our, let's use our backs to slow down this rush, not only with the chipping and, and such and, and the double teams, but uh, to use them out of the backfield screens and draws. A lot of quick opportunities. You know, they can do a lot of that, but I, I very much do not want to turn flowers into a no. a dot of 3.5 guy the way they did with marquise brown in his last year in baltimore i'm your guy on that ken so if you ever want to make a twitter argument you just type the at that at signal huddle it up films and i got you back buddy okay very good very good um uh one one thing about arguing with people on twitter and generally if, if you're wondering why i don't engage in argumentative conversations it's it's, it's the time investment it's too great I, you know I, I i appreciate it guys most of the time what I would have to say about things does, doesn't fit in 280 characters. So while I, I really love what comes from the Twitter community in terms of great questions and, and great thoughts, uh, I just don't have the time to debate things on Twitter for, for uh, you know, two hours a day that I would probably spend on it if, if, uh, if, I were, if I were really looking at every single question on Twitter. All right. Well, I'll coach you up, Ken. You know, I give them one good response and uh, maybe two. If it's, and then it, after I say what I have to say, uh, as a wise man named the talking head said, Say something once, why say it again, Ken? All right, very good. Very good. All right, Jason, always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about the uh, offensive line and some individual results, talk about our MVPs in this game when we come back. Uh, but tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Sure, Huddle It Up Films on Twitter and YouTube. Please check out the con uh, the content that I constantly plug today. So thanks for having me on, Ken. We'll, we'll talk again real soon. All right, outstanding. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, Hit me up. Uh, one thing I'm going to try and do more of this next off season is get to people who have some sort of analytics study, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to exclude anybody who just wants to talk about some specific Ravens content. So uh, while by looking for national people who want to vet their uh, models analytically, I'm also looking for Ravens content and uh, people who just want to talk about some particular scheme or other thing they would like to discuss or are passionate about about the Ravens. Hit me up. DMs are always open. I promise I'll get back to you really quickly. Jason, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. 
Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.